0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keen On. Over the last 200 years, nothing has divided us more than our free market economic system. Is it the source of every social injustice, from exploitation to alienation to inequality? Or is it essential to our individual freedom and democracy, this debate is as relevant today in 2020 as it was in 1920 or 1820. So what's up with our contemporary free market economic system? How do we fix capitalism? Lucy Parker is a senior partner at the Brunswick Group, which is uh, Uh, a global boutique consultancy group focusing on giving business critical advice in all areas, particularly perhaps in ethics. Uh, Lucy specializes in telling businesses how to behave in our global capitalist world. Lucy, is that a fair way to describe what you do?
1: It's a funny way to describe what we do. (laughs) And um, part of it, I think, is that it brilliantly... Okay. It's a funny way to describe what we do for sure. And it does actually put the finger on the fact that what we're on about with companies is not just what you say, but what do you do.
0: And I know you have a particular interest in not only telling companies how to make money, but to behave themselves in our sometimes lawless capitalist economy. Is that fair?
1: Yes, I think it is. I think that one of the things that's happening to big business today is that the world at large, society, however you want to phrase it for yourself, is asking companies, leading companies for sure, to deliver financial value. We need that. But financial value hand in hand with social value. I don't know many business leaders today who are not aware of that, but many of them are scratching their heads as to work out what that actually means. How do you do it?
0: Many people, when they think of business, assume that businesses only care about the bottom line. Um, Is that the natural reflex of senior executives at large companies?
1: I think it's a truism. I think that's absolutely the case, that many people's only touchpoint with big business is that it is a money-making machine and that's all people care about. I I think in reality, that is quite simply not the case. Um, I think that a lot of what they're measured by is the money and the profits and the bottom line. But actually, if you produce anything from drugs to T-shirts, the actual machinery and expertise that goes into doing that is hugely exciting and commanding, off the back of which comes the profit. That's almost invisible to people who live outside big business. But the area that I'm really dealing with is not just the straight line between the customer and the product that goes out the other end of the business and then rushes across the road to to, uh, profits to shareholders. It's actually in this world as a big organization, a big business, you're like an engine and you spin off impacts all over the place. Negative, positive, you use water as raw materials, you have chemicals in your supply chain, you have sometimes some of the biggest companies have a million people in their supply chain worldwide. So for me, the behave bit is how do you make your choices and conduct yourself as a business to all those impacts in the wider world that just by being a business you have?
0: How do you think, I know this is a, this is a hard question, but how do you think business has conducted, it, conducted itself um, from an ethical perspective over the last 25 years?
1: What a great question. Um, I think that the rise of concern about business all over the world in the last 25 years or last 10 years is a product of the fact that a lot of it's got hugely unbalanced in the last 30 years.
0: Is that a, a euphemism for saying it doesn't work anymore?
1: No, it's not. It, it's me. It's exactly what I mean. I think it's gone out of balance. It is always a balance between um, the interests of the company, the interests of the shareholders, the interests of the customers, the interests of the wider society, and the emphasis, almost like the swing of a pendulum, has gone over heavily to the financial markets and. An awful lot of the corrective that needs to happen actually is in the investor base. It's not in the corporate base. The pressure from the investor base is enormous and we've seen 20, 30 years at which that has become the predominant paradigm and now the world doesn't want that anymore,
0: mustn't be. That's what people call financialization.
1: Yeah. I think when the financial markets have almost got bigger than the businesses, when the stock is no longer traded in a direct um, way within one market, say it's always international now, it's always very, very fast. So the whole model has shifted towards the financial arena and I think what you're seeing now is a real pull to correct that backwards. I think the other thing that's happened and it links with so many of the subjects that I know you're interested in, technology has changed everything in the way companies behave, it's changed their landscape, it's changed their processes and everything and at the same time um, the movement around the world of markets has mean that the big has meant that the biggest companies have got very very big and that's part of the problem for society that it's owned by these few giants around the world that's a problem
0: i mean we i certainly know that in silicon valley obviously we have trillion dollar companies now but is that true across the economy not just in digital technology.
1: Absolutely. It's completely across the economy. So there are a few mining companies, which are absolute giants, a few pharmaceutical companies, absolute giants, retail. And this goes on and on and on. So it also means that one of the things that's happened is that negative impacts that were there are amplified massively because these are now massive companies. And also, of course, there's more and more people. So if you're a food company, there's more and more pressure to produce more food from the same. So... It's, it's been a really complicated area for a long time now. And the scale of the big companies is making it very, very evident that they need to behave in a way that copes with their externalities.
0: So meanwhile, while this is going on, you have the tendency towards a, a winner-take-all economy. Yeah. You have a financialized market. And you also have a kind of crisis of government, don't don't you? A, a withdrawal of the government, to some extent, the state from its traditional post-war obligations.
1: I think that's a real thing. And I think that the pull away from, from a positive relationship with business in so many parts of the world is a, is a genuine problem. And of course, businesses are hugely um, challenging to, to governments these days because all these big businesses I've been talking about cross borders. National governments, even in the biggest geographies, are bordered. And so that's one of the reasons that the sort of regulatory sort of context-setting power of, of governments is so un- irrelevant, really, to business today.
0: And if there's one word to describe this whole system, is it neoliberal?
1: Oh, um, maybe you'd be a better person for, f- to, to describe neoliberal than I would. Uh, I, I, my instinct is that's a very good way of, of describing it, actually. It's that one view of a liberal take on the world has gone absolute to the furthest end of the spectrum. and What we're all trying to do now is regroup, rebalance, and set a new paradigm.
0: Can we blame somebody for this? I mean, we're in London, so of course, the natural person to blame would be Margaret Thatcher. In the US, they might blame Reagan. Uh, Some people might blame the the Chicago economists or even the Viennese economists. Or is it some sort of systemic consequence of these structural forces that that can't be tagged on one single individual or group or even political ideology?
1: I I tend to the latter. Um, I think that it's a big cultural shift as well. Um, I think it's a systemic challenge Um, when we look at inequality for example, which is surely one of the most pressing issues in, the, in all over the world, but certainly in the West at the moment, it's partly because there was a shift which actually mitigated against some of the inequality in other parts of the world. A lot of the pressures that the companies I work with are under are because there's more and more and more people on the, in the world all the time. And the balance has gone heavily to the consumers. So I wish it was possible to identify who to blame, but I, I fear it's all of us, every one of us, I fear
0: Well, let's move on from blame and let's go to fixes, to solutions. Um, In this moral vacuum, do you think that business leaders have almost an ethical responsibility to fill the void, to step forward and say, okay, well, for whatever reason, we have this world that's out of sync and we have to lead to fix it because nobody else is going to do it.
1: I do, yes. I do think so. And I think that there are... Um, more and more business leaders who see it like that. There are signs all over the place that there are. And I think that partly it's happened because if you're if you're controlling one of these big businesses today, you suddenly realize what a massive social engine this is. And you know it's, it's simple when you talk about carbon because the whole world knows about it.
0: But well, that does the whole world really know about carbon? It's again a, an incredibly complicated uh, scientific term which gets trivialized by every side in their arguments.
1: 100% correct. You're right to pull me up on it. When I say everybody knows, I mean everybody knows.
0: Everyone thinks they knows. Well,
1: everybody knows that something has to be tackled. I find one of the interesting things is that we're often working with companies where something bubbles up underneath, where the world hasn't even heard of that problem yet, but it's coming. What's happened recently on plastics would be one. And with all of these... Stories, you know, you track back 20 years, there were people trying to send send signals 20 years ago, on 30 years ago, more on these things. Um, but I think that business leaders now are in a situation where they've got business models which are throwing off bad, negative external costs on the world. And they're having to rethink how they operate as businesses to change that. That is huge. Do we have some
0: models, some pioneers of this, that the person that comes to mind... Is Paul Polman, the former CEO of uh, Unilever, is Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce in the US, who makes a lot of noise about this stuff. Um, Are there are there examples, positive examples for other CEOs?
1: Yes, there are, Um, and and interestingly, the models that run underneath are very similar. It's a question of. Challenging your organisation, and one of the ones that's also famous in that crew that you mentioned there, of course, is is PepsiCo, where PepsiCo is a is a very interesting company because the well, world doesn't need fizzy drinks. Are they
0: a client? No. So uh, you can talk about them honestly. Well,
1: I can I can talk about them because it's a well known public example, um, and. One of the things that's really, really interesting about it is that the world rose up in anxiety in, in Asia around their use of water. Because after all, if you're selling fizzy drinks, you're using water. And, as, and in a water-starved country, that's very difficult. But the business challenged itself to go absolutely fiercely reducing its own operational processes. And uh, the COO at the time said, you know, we don't know how we're going to do this, but we know we have to. And they innovated towards the solution. How I mean, should
0: we feel about a company like that, that's certainly doing good, but on the other hand, seems to be making and profiting from a product that's pretty awful?
1: Yeah, it's a re- that's a really complicated question um, because I don't know which whether we should try and answer both because there's two questions on the table there that's really, really interesting. If we went to the PepsiCo thing of reducing its own water footprint, and then you move out to another picture, which is how do they then engage with the external world on what they learnt about water, Uh, working with big universities, working with big NGOs around the world, and then actually appointing within the organization an advocate for water use, who is absolutely tireless around the world and fighting for new processes, new solutions to water use around the world. Now, that is the model, and you see it in quite a lot of businesses, interestingly, Uh, anglo-american which is a a mining business based in south africa did this with did this with hiv aids so actually became the a, a world expert on the management of hiv aids in working populations like pepsico became a world expert and indeed a global prize winner on the management of water so there are topics which are big societal issues the use of water the handling of Uh, diseases, the use of sugar in food, where actually because corporates are really a huge concentration of skills and resources, once they decide to act on it, they can make the most enormous difference. And so, that's a real question. Can you get the leaders of the big corporate organizations to understand that they have the levers to pull to actually switch these things back? You raise another very interesting issue. What if the product is something we don't think is good. Uh, One of the things that's changed in the world for companies is it's as if the light has changed on what they're doing because of course too much fizzy sugary drinks is unnecessary, but the world keeps buying them. Now, actually that company as it happens has turned towards porridge and hummus and other things as well, but that's an incidental point. But if you say airplanes, Suddenly, the world woke up to the fact that airline travel has a huge impact on, on carbon and many other things. Well, the world isn't stopping flying. So when you say whose fault is it, the world isn't stopping flying as more and more people around the world want to, as more and more uh, organizations become international, etc. cetera. And so strangely, the people who can actually fix it are the people who buy the planes, make the planes. Well, people who make the planes are the people who have the wherewithal to change the technology of the planes. And also the do. people who fly on the planes. Exactly. But the people who fly, well, you mean the public. Yeah, But the, the customer. Yeah, that's what I mean when you said earlier, is it, whose fault is it? We fly. We Collected, drink. The so it's ticks. a
0: collective responsibility.
1: Everybody has to play the part they can play. And I think what's been missing and why I talked about lack of balance is the corporates have been playing no role. And I think the real, real heart of the problem is to have business models where the external cost of that business model is allowed to stay outside their profit line.
0: And do we also need to push back on the, 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 the Amazon ideology of, of, of fetishizing the customer? Yes. And suggesting that online or offline customers have some sort of intrinsic right, sometimes even to free products.
1: I completely agree with that. I think that that's why when you ask that very good question, whose fault is it? In a rather unsatisfying way, I'm going, everybody. Because some people have said, well, it's the shareholder that's the problem. By the way, they're not all wrong. But the other problem is that the model is the customer's always right. Everything the customer wants is right. And what the customer wants is cheaper, above all, cheaper and more convenient. Well, that's led to all kinds of challenges in the food supply chain that's led to all kinds of challenges in air travel. It's everybody's responsibility to make the shift. The game I'm in is about corporates as a big engine in the world. How do we get them to be interested in, expert at, and held accountable for pulling the levers that they can pull, which are exceptionally strong?
0: Uh, Lucy, the world is on fire in many ways, sometimes literally, of course, in Australia. We have growing inequality, we have the the rise of neo-authoritarianism around the world, a crisis of democracy. Um, how much worse can the situation get, do you think, before it becomes self-evident to everybody that we're in a crisis?
1: I think the acceleration of the last few years has really brought a feeling that um, it, in the corporate world, which is the only world I could speak of with great confidence, that the I think companies are now putting this absolutely centre stage. So, so when,
0: so when CEOs meet with their boards, these are issues on everybody's mind. Absolutely. Board members, CEOs, workers,
1: everybody. I mean, the boards are absolutely on this topic. I don't know. I don't know a corporate leader that isn't on this topic. What to do about it is like the whole world we're struggling with. But this, these subjects are absolutely on the boardroom agenda now, and more than they were two years ago, even.
0: So let's. Uh, at the end of our conversation Lucy try to fix capitalism give of course. me an easy one um let's think of three or four realizable goals things that can be done over the next 5 to 10 years to fix the the imbalance to to rebalance to recalibrate what's happened in 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 our economics over the last 25 years
1: i think that one thing is that people put into senior executive positions should have fair and square within their brief that they need to deliver financial value and social value hand in hand. It is simply not a tolerable paradigm to be focused exclusively on financial or a little bit of social. Corporate executives need to be held to account on both.
0: So do we need to even get rid of this term social capitalism and assume that all capitalists by definition... Have a social responsibility.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think that social capitalism, it's a, there are many phrases around it, you know, social impact bonds and all of this. I think that the really crucial thing is that the model of capitalism that we go for, it's not that capitalism is not necessary, it's the model of how you execute it. And what's happened is that the financial element has got so removed from the operations and the operations so removed from the wider societal responsibilities that it's caused schisms.
0: One of my problems with this is that companies already say this because marketing departments are so dominant and clever. Um, Do we need to get rid of marketing departments in this area?
1: I've never... thought of it quite like that but I wonder whether you raise a very good point which is and I might say to you well maybe we need them more in this area meaning but they're uh, all I wouldn't say they're liars but they're
0: very clever yes at at spinning uh spinning a narrative that benefits them and you never quite trust what they're
1: saying 100% I wouldn't disagree with that I mean that I had not put marketing departments in on this area maybe
0: marketing departments need to be more ethical too or maybe they need to be told that they can't tell lies about this because even the worst companies claim to be doing good.
1: Well, I wonder whether we could actually think of going down a different path with that thought because one of the hopeful things that's there when you see marketing departments open up to these subjects is they've started to understand that they need to be accountable for it. Other forces are then making the leadership accountable for it. I think that marketing departments have quite a lot to do to let people know what the subjects are and what the issues are that to be worried about but i actually think that marketing isn't where the source of this is the real focus the real focus needs to be on what the investment world expects from companies that's where that is much less transparent to people than even the corporates themselves okay so that's
0: one thing give me a couple of other doable well, fixes
1: Let's make it two things because I think the first th- the first thing is bring it central, make make it part of an executive's role, hire for it, train for it, expect it, keep them accountable. The other is that the investment world needs to become much more transparent about what it will invest in and what it won't invest in. And at the moment, the investment world, broadly speaking, treats anything which is socially responsible as An add-on as a peripheral, as an extra, as a a luxury. Yes. And doesn't believe in it. Um, So you'll always get the people on the edge who think it matters, but it's not central to the investment world. And until it's central to the investment world and the investors ask for it, we're pulling the executive teams to pieces and they can't act effectively. So I think that a lot of the hidden problem is that people don't understand and don't believe in the investment world criteria in these areas. So to flush that out, to bring that onto the table is absolutely vital.
0: And finally, Lucy, a lot of people we listen to this, they're not in the investment world, they're not CEOs of large companies, but they have a role too. What can ordinary people do to, 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 to try to fix our capitalist system?
1: Well, customers have a lot to do. Customers can ask for it. They can use their wallet in a particular way. They can really show what they want to buy. And if we all did that, it would make a huge difference to the way the corporates behave. I think the thing is that the corporates, the big change that needs to happen is that corporates need to acknowledge the scale they have in the system. They are fantastic implementers, unlike governments, unlike academics, unlike the consuming public. So what needs to happen is that they need to be persuaded by the investors on one side and the consumers and customers on the other side that it is expected of them to pull those levers on the big societal issues and that they should work systemically. The biggest thing a corporate can do is be advocating for system change, not for their own piece of responsibility. And that's that would be transformative in the corporate world.
0: Uh, and consumers or customers, they shouldn't just be... Um Rethinking which coffee brand they buy, but also perhaps rethinking their whole buying uh, experience.
1: Yes. If you are starting to worry about Amazon's deliveries, or if you're starting to worry about sugar in your food, or if you're prepared to pay that much more for food because actually it isn't full of antibiotics and water, the producers of those products notice. They really watch. They really notice. And so making yourself as an individual conspicuous is is like the vote. In some ways it doesn't matter, and in some ways it's absolutely everything.
0: And do you think that the the corporate world will accept consumers spending less, which in turn will result in the shrinking of their businesses? Because not everyone can win in this world.
1: I think what you're seeing is a sort of wave, waves come. You know, 20 years ago, there were major, major questions around drug companies because so many people, so many countries and people around the planet couldn't afford drugs at all. That led to a breaking in the back of the IP model that meant that drugs are now supplied in a completely different way to the developing and emerging markets. You're starting to see it again now in the north. Drug pricing is one of the hottest issues in the pharmaceutical sector and companies are trying to work out how to adapt to it. So yes, it matters. It's more that they have to shift their business models to understand what's required. And for a long time, the noisiest voice in their ears has been the investor demanding only more short-term gain. And that's the, that's the thing that needs rebalancing. And the line between the customer and the investor is too direct without the wider societal context. And that's what actually needs to be worked on now. But there are plenty of models of how to do it, plenty of companies who can show the way on how to do it. But it needs the entire corporate universe to think that this is what's expected of them, financial and social value hand in hand.
0: Today's episode was brought to you by BetterHelp. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening. Keenon isn't just a podcast, it's also a book. Our memorable interviews from last year's show about democracy with best-selling writers like Shoshana Zuboff have been turned into a book. Entitled Tomorrow's Versus Yesterday's, Conversations in Defense of the Future, it's available at all good online and offline bookstores. So if you want to read this podcast, please buy tomorrow's versus yesterday's. It's the essential analog complement to this digital show.